Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. God is always faithful to his word. And therefore, if we want to know what God is about to do in this world, the best place to check is prophecy. Prophecy informs us perfectly what God is going to do in order that we can be part of it. At least pray for it. Praise God for the good things that he does. And a great thing that God has done is that he has established the nation of Israel. This is according to his word. Now, recently, a good friend of mine, Christian Barrio Nuevo, and myself, we did a discussion on the issue that God is not done with Israel. When you look prophetically in the scripture, you see that one should anticipate, one should be believing, one should be praying for God to do what he says he's going to do. Bring the people back to the land. That's going on in a big way even today. The fact that there's a nation of Israel, this is indeed a fulfillment of prophecy. But there are those who criticize such a view. And they'll make statements such as this. If the nation of Israel is a fulfillment of prophecy, then why is there unrighteousness in Israel? Well, read prophetically what God says. And let me give you a great place to begin. The second part of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. I want to say it again. Ezekiel chapter 37, the second part. God says he's going to do something. He is going to bring about restoration for the house of Israel, Israel and Judah. Some people, they say that, that God does not think of this term Israel. He calls it Judah and Samaria. Well, it's true in the Bible. We find Judah and Samaria, Yudav and Shimron. But also, God speaks frequently about Israel in regard to the land of Israel. It says in the New Covenant, for example, about how God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. It was, it was not, and it will be. This is what the Word of God says. Now, when we talk about Israel as a fulfillment of prophecy, and people will say, well, there's abortion in Israel. Unfortunately, there is. Tel Aviv, for example, is one of the most pro-homosexual cities in the world. That's unfortunate. But it shouldn't surprise us. And it in no way invalidates 
the claim that Israel being a nation, the people coming back to the land, that it's not a fulfillment of prophecy. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. Why? Because in Ezekiel 37, God says, I'm bringing the people back to the land. And he says he's going to do that in their rebelliousness, in their idolatry, in their unrighteousness. Why? The fact that the people are coming back to the land is not an outcome of, of Jewish people's merit because we, we deserve it, that we're spiritually right with God, and therefore God's doing this as a response to our righteousness. God doesn't say that. Read Ezekiel 37. God's going to do it. Why? Because of his name. Because he is faithful. And because of the covenant. And therefore, God says, I'm bringing them back to the land in their idolatry, in their unrighteousness, in their rebelliousness, in their law-breaking behavior. Because of who is, who he is. But, and this is such an important but, God says, after bringing them back to the land, he is going to bring about a spiritual change. So God does it because of who he is, not because of anything deserving. And let me point out something to you all. Most of you know this. And that is, aren't you glad that God so loved us that while we were still sinners, he sent his son to the cross. Aren't you glad about that? See, we don't deserve the cross. God didn't look down and said, the Gentiles or Israel, humanity, is so, so meriting this. They're such good people that I'm going to do the cross. Is that what we see? No. It was because of his righteousness, his love, his goodness, his faithfulness, his word that he sent his only begotten son into this world. So when I hear comments or read comments, and we've got many emails, many comments on our, our video that were, were downright ridiculous, outlandish. Why? Because what the people say are in conflict with the word of God. And you have to ask yourselves, now, people, and hear this very carefully, people are free to criticize Israel. When the nation of Israel does something that's not in obedience to the word of God, it's fine to criticize Israel, other nations, other groups of people, other individuals. It's fine. If you sincerely desire a change for that person, that in love you say, this isn't right, and therefore I hope there's repentance. Because I've been in disobedience, I've been in rebelliousness, I've been in darkness. But, but here's the problem. When it's so obvious what the scripture says, and people ignore that, it's either one or two things. They are highly illiterate of the word of God. That could be the problem. Or there's a degree of anti-Semitism. When we look and have different standards for one group, 
and the other. We can say, is really the church part of God's plan? I mean, look at some of the things that denominations say, what Christians are doing, how there is immorality, how there is sexual abuse, how there's, we could go through a litany of things. Anytime we're dealing with human beings, even saved individuals, regenerated individuals, there's still going to be sin. So looking at something and saying, I see sin, therefore God couldn't be at work at this, God's not part of sin, but God works with sinners. Aren't you glad that he does? Because if he worked with no sinners, then we would be without hope. Nothing would be done in this world. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Isaiah and chapter 41. The book of Isaiah and chapter 41. Now, we began this chapter last week. And we see that once again, God's going to do something. That's what he said last week, that he's going to bring a change to Israel, the Jewish people. And he's going to bring a change which is in agreement with his word, his prophetic word, what he says. And we're going to see that clearly, clearly in the second half of chapter 41. So look with me, Isaiah chapter 41, let's begin with verse 14. Now, God says this. He speaks to the feminine, and that means to the nation. Israel is oftentimes a, a feminine noun. So he says, do not fear. And then he says, O worm of Jacob. Here the word tola'at is also feminine. So he's speaking to Jacob, meaning the Jewish people. And he says, do not fear, and it's very interesting. He calls Israel, of course, he's using the term Jacob here in regard to the people. And he calls them what? Tola'at, a worm. Now, this is not a, a compliment. A worm signifies that which is unclean, that which is, is decaying, that which is not appropriate. But God says to the Jewish people in that state of being spiritually, do not fear. Why? Because God's going to do something. This is what we should understand. God does that to the Jewish people and to the Gentile people. He looks at those who are, are spiritually bankrupt, those who are decaying spiritually rebellious, and God says, I'm going to move because of grace. I'm going to move because I'm merciful. I'm going to do something because I'm a loving God, and I desire that no one should perish. So God moves. Now, people, they have to decide. As God reaches out, as the Spirit comes knocking on the heart of an individual, what's that individual going to do? Well, we see in a unique way, that nationalistically Israel in the last days, and I mean at the very end of Daniel's 70th week, when they look upon Messiah coming at a time of great desper desperation for them, at a time when two-thirds of the people will have been put to death, meaning two-thirds of the Jewish people died, been killed because of the enemy. Then we see something, and that is that 
God is going to reveal himself through the person of his only begotten son, Messiah Yeshua, and Israel. One third of those who have survived, all those who are alive at that time, are going to say yes to Messiah. Praise God for that. And if you're not Jewish and you're watching this, you should be exceedingly happy. Why? Because when that moment happens, you know what's going to be the next thing God does? He is going to establish his kingdom. That's a good thing. So God, the sovereign God, he has an order of events. He is going to bring the people back to the land in their disobedience, in their idolatry, but he's going to change them. Two-thirds will be lost, but one-third is going to experience that change and come to faith. And he's speaking about here a wonderful change. And how is this change going to happen? Well, look again. He says, do not fear, O worm of Jacob. And then he tells us who he's talking about, O men of Israel. Now, why shouldn't we fear? He says, I have helped you. Now, if your Bible says, I will help you, what they're doing is interpreting rather than translating. It says, literally, I have helped you in the past. Has that help actually taken place in this context? No, it's not. That's why some say, I will help you. So why it's in the past if it's not yet been done? Because sometimes... The past tense is used to show a sure promise that God is ensuring this. It's going to happen. It's as good as done. So he says, I have helped you. And then we have another term of promise, declares the Lord. Now, what is this help going to be? Well, we have a strong indicator of what this help is because he says, who this God is that he's speaking, it's the one who is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Now, I think it's just so unfortunate that people, and we get many comments, many emails, against that term Israel. But what we see here is that in the Scripture, God reveals himself as the Holy One of Israel. If that term bothers you, if the term Israel, you don't like it, you don't feel at peace with it, let me tell you, you're not at peace with God. You are in rebelliousness. You have a spiritual problem. See, when you are right with God, the things that God likes, you're going to like. The things that he wants, you're going to want. You're going to submit to. You are going to be drawn to those things. And the things that are displeasing to God, those are the things that are going to turn you away. You're not going to want that. You're going to realize this isn't good. So when a person comments about how Israel is not a good term, have they ever read the Bible? Have they ever encountered a verse like this that says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. Look now to verse 15. He says, Behold, a phrase of an attention getter, Behold, I will set you. And this is a term for setting or making someone. He says, I will make you for. And the next word 
is a, a vessel, an instrument for, for threshing. And he says here, a new sharp threshing instrument that has, some Bibles will say teeth, but it's really speaking about a, an instrument that's sharp on two sides, like a double-edged sword. And he says to Israel, you will thresh the mountains. Now here, most of the scholars, both Christian and rabbinical, say these mountains, prophetically mountain, represents a, a nation or an empire, a confederacy of perhaps many countries. And what it says here, that God is going to make Israel like a, a new, sharp, threshing instrument, and that you will thresh the mountains, meaning the nations. And he says, ve-tadok, this is from a word which means to ground up something and make it into powder, something very thin. So it's another way of saying that Israel is going to destroy the nations, have victory. Now that destruction is because of God. He says, I will make you this sharp instrument. And hills, this is another term for, for nations or countries, oftentimes smaller ones of less significance. He says, as the, the chef is, is made, meaning that they're going to just blow away, that they're not going to be able to stand to resist what God's doing with Israel. This is what God is promising. And this is not some prophecy that's already been fulfilled. It's one that will be fulfilled. Now, there are paradigms of it, but ultimately, this is a last day prophecy. Look now to verse 16. He says, and you will winnow another term for, for similar to threshing. He says, and you will winnow them, and, and the wind will lift them up. And, a, and this is a word for like a hurricane, a strong wind, a tornado. Will, will blow them, and you will rejoice in the Lord. And again, the second time, in the Holy One of Israel, you will praise. And this is not the word for praise, but, but to be one who is praising, praising within yourself. It speaks about how one is just overcome with praising God, a great joy, a gladness that, that comes from within and then is expressed outward. So all of this is significant about a wonderful change that's coming to the Jewish people. Do they need change? Yes, we do. Well, what about the church? Does the church need change? Yes, it does. So we want to say that God is not, that the church is not an instrument of God because of sin in the church? No. So why say that in regard to Israel? Especially when Israel's still in unbelief. I mean, the church is supposed to have faith. That's how they became part of the church. Israel, for the most part, is still in spiritual darkness. And you want to condemn and judge and say God cannot be at work? God is at work mightily 
Just open your eyes. See the changes that are happening in this land. I have the privilege of living in Israel. And I see the changes. We've been here for 20 years. And I have seen massive change, both from a, a land standpoint, how it's grown, how the land has changed, places that were utterly desolate, no vegetation, are now being turned into orchards, into vineyards, into farmland. It's amazing the changes that have happened in a relatively short time. And the changes, they are coming. And if you know prophecy, God says this. When the people are rebellious, the land doesn't do good. It doesn't give much produce. It doesn't have the things of, of the agriculture like it used to. It shows a condemnation, a displeasing with God. But as the land becomes more prosperous, it signifies one or two things. A good spiritual condition for the people, the Jewish people, or that God is about to move. And in the last days, it signifies God's about to move in a very visible way. God has not forsaken. God has not finished with Israel. Move now to verse 17. He speaks here. The poor ones and the destitute ones will seek water. Now, this is speaking about those who, like Messiah said, the poor in spirit, those who are thirsty for righteousness. They're coming to the place where they are going to seek water. And we know that Messiah says, if any man is thirsty, let him come unto me. This is a spiritual thirst. This is symbolic language, he says. And the poor, this can be the afflicted ones, and the destitute ones, they will seek water. But there will be none. And their tongues will, will dry up with, with thirst. I and the Lord, I will answer them. So as they are about to perish, there is nothing. There's nothing that's satisfying them. Then we see, but I, the Lord, I will answer them. And it is the word, amen. Now, this is important because I believe some translation says, I will hear them. Well, to hear, to answer, you have to hear, but it's the word, I will answer them. It's a word of response. God says, and I, the Lord, I will answer them. The God of Israel will not, I will not abandon them. Did you hear that? Now, this is a promise. And what Messiah taught is that until that happens, until God does what he's saying he's going to do in this prophecy, the kingdom will not come. Be assured of that. Until Israel gets right with the Lord, and it will happen there will not be the establishment of the kingdom of God. See, people need to set aside their anti-Semitism, their hatred, and, and start studying the word of God. The greatest solution for anti-Semitism is understanding the scripture and understanding it as it's said. 
not trying to spiritualize it, not trying to explain it away, not trying to say everything's symbolic. God says clearly here, I will answer them. Who? The God of Israel. And I will not forsake them. Verse 18. Now he speaks about this change that's coming to the land. And that foreshadows, if you understand prophecy, it foreshadows a spiritual change that's coming in the people. Verse 18. I will open upon the Shephayim. Shephayim would be like uh, uh, elevated plateaus that are, are flat and that are, are of, of no, no vegetation. They're, they're desolate. But what does God say he's going to do? I will open up upon these plateaus, rivers, and in the midst of the valleys, he's going to have springs of water. He says, I will make the wilderness or the desert for a lake of water and the land, the dry land, he says, will be for, for springs of water. So this thirst, no one can meet it but God. And the people are going to be very parched. The land is going to be very dry. It has been, but it's changing. For example, Israel just recently has entered into a deal where Israel is going to supply water to Jordan. Now, King Abdullah, he speaks so unkindly about Israel as a nation. He, he gives the propaganda of, of the, the Muslim hatred. He speaks to them, agrees with them all too often. But when he's thirsty, he'll take water from Israel. I think that's very interesting. And it also says something about the Jewish people. That, that even though that there is a, and I use this term loosely, a, a peace agreement between Jordan and Israel, but, but there's a lot of hatred that comes out of the, the parliament in Jordan and the citizens of Jordan for the Jewish people. But nevertheless, Israel is demonstrating a love for those who think of themselves as our enemies by giving them water. Well, God's going to do something wonderful. He's going to give us water in abundance. Look now to verse 19. And I will set or I will make, I will give the wilderness, and this can mean desert as well, I will set in the desert the, the cypress or the, the cedar, or the cypress tree, and the acacia tree, and the myrtle tree, myrtle tree, and the oily tree. I will place in the arava, which is also a, a desert land, a desert land. I will place, and here it is, Berosh, here's the, the cedar or the cypress and the pine or the elm tree. And then we have the word te ashur. And this is, some Bibles will say tree box. I don't know what that is. Others will say it's another type of, of cypress tree. So we have the cedar, the eras, the cedar tree. And the, the cypress, the berosh, and another type that's mentioned here, all of these will be planted by God, set there 
uh, in these very desolate and desert-like places, all of them together, verse 20. On account, why is he doing this? Because he's faithful. On account that they will see and they will know and they will pay attention and they will become wise altogether. Now, it's poetry. And what God is saying here is just like he's going to put all these trees and it's happening today. There are trees being planted in places that you would think don't bother wasting your time in planting a tree in that soil. We do, and it grows, and it becomes a lush forest. Why? God's faithfulness. And just as though God is planting all of these trees all together, it says here that people are going to see this. They are going to know this. They're going to pay attention and become wise all together. That what? what are they going to understand? That the hand of the Lord has done this. The Holy One of Israel, he has created it. Now, this is the third time we see that term, the Holy One of Israel. I wonder, I wonder these people who have such hatred for, for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, I wonder if they ever pray to the Holy One of Israel. That, that they know that God's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Understand that the Bible is very clear. And when you take uh, uh, statements and make them full of hate and inaccuracy, it says something about that person's understanding of the Bible or that, that they are a pure anti-Semite. One of the two. I hope it's ignorance because oftentimes that can be, can be solved with, with study. But sometimes a hateful spirit, there's no hope for someone like that. Sometimes. Hopefully the word of God gets a hold of them. The spirit of God will bring about a change. But, but oftentimes such hatred is very hard to, to bring an end to. Verse 21. Now, beginning in verse 21, God is, is making a change. In the verses that we've studied thus far, verses 14 through 20, we've seen something. And that is God has said what he's going to do. But now he's talking about the problem that has plagued the Jewish people. And what is that? Idolatry. And what the context is, is this. God is saying, have you found fault with me? Have I not been faithful? Have I done something against my word that has caused you properly to go and seek other gods? Is that what's happened? So remember that because we read in verse 21, he says, draw near your complaint. You have a complaint against God, the God of Israel. How I've treated the Jewish people, he's saying to them, draw near and bring your, your complaint. The Lord will say, he says, present your strong things, meaning your strong uh, uh, documents, your best case, in other words, against me, the king of Jacob will say, verse 23, bring it forth, declare to us what has happened. Now, it speaks here 
And God's saying, you know, if the idols are, are so desirable, he says, you know, bring, bring all this forth and, and tell me, reveal to me what they have, have said will happen. The former things, what they are, declare them that we will pay attention and we will know the end of things or the things that are coming, he says, proclaim, cause them to be heard. So he's challenging the idols. He's saying, these gods that you have gone after, these ones that you are worshiping upon these high places, they've actually, that type of behavior has brought desolation to the land. But God wants to make a change because of who he is, his character, not because of what we deserve, not because we've earned this, because we are our righteous people. No, God is righteous. God's faithful. And therefore, he says, you who are worshiping idols, you who are not following me, those idols, have, have they declared anything? Have they spoken about the former things? Were they the ones that, that said these former things that happened and they understand it? Have they been able to declare what will be in order that we will know and we can respond? That's what he's saying. Verse 23. Let them declare the things that are coming at the end, that we might know. For gods they are, meaning if they're gods, these idols, then, then they should be able to prophesy. They should be able to reveal what's going to happen. They should give an explanation of what has happened, that we might understand that if they're truly gods. Then he says, af to devour, which means, you know, let them do good or let them do evil, that we can gaze upon it and that we can see together. Let them say something or let them do something, whether it's good or bad, something. Now, what's he pointing out? That idols can't do anything, either good or bad. There's no power to them. No, no anything that they can accomplish. They don't have, have the ability to hear, to see, to smell, to taste, to speak, or to walk. They do nothing. So God says, let them do something if they're really gods, whether it be good or bad that we can see and that we can observe. What do idols do? Nothing. And, and that's okay for those who sold idols because what would people more than likely do? They buy this idol, they worship it, they make it offerings and such, and there's no response. What do they do? They take that idol and they break it. They cast it to the ground. They ground it up into to small pieces. And then what do they do? Go buy another one thinking that that same type of behavior is going to produce a different change. How foolish. This is what God's challenging the people. Look now to verse 24. He says, Behold, you are nothing. He speaks directly to the idol worshipers and the idols themselves. Behold, you are nothing. And your deeds are, are nothing. And then he has a phrase, toeva, this is an abomination or 
one who is abominable, one who is not good, one who practices lawlessness. And it says the abominable one, he will choose them. Why? He chooses idolatry because he doesn't want to do the things of God. So he says, nope, these are my gods. It's to justify his abominations that he wants to perform his sin. That's why there's idolatry, an attempt to justify sinful behavior. That's who chooses them. This is what God's saying, verse 25. Now, verse 25 speaks about one who's going to bring a change. Look at verse 25. He says, I have raised up from the north, and he will come from the east, meaning the shining of the sun, that's an idiom for the east, and he will call in my name. So there's someone that's coming that's going to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, some will say that, that this is uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Others will say the most common view, both among rabbis and, and Christians, is that it's Cyrus, Korish. Now, when we look at it, all it says, and I don't like to interpret something that's, that's not clearly said, but there's one coming. And, and from the north, out of the north, from the east, speaks of one coming into the land, the land of Israel in the most common way. And, and this usually has a connotation of judgment. From the east, judgment. So he says, I've raised someone from the north, and he will come out of the east. He will call in my name, and he will come. And then it has a word for, for like princes, those who are, are authorities, leaders. He says, these leaders are going to be like, like Homer, just like material. Uh, some will say mortar. Some will say clay. And like the pottery treads upon the clay. Now, what he's saying is this. This one's coming is not going to have any problem with these strong leaders. He's going to mold them, shape them as he wants. They are not going to be able to stand. They're not going to influence him just like the clay doesn't change the potter, but it's the potter that changes the clay. The potter has absolute authority. He can make that clay into whatever he wants. That's what this one that's coming is going to do. Verse 26. Who has declared from the beginning? And the point is, who has said about this one who's, who's coming? Who has revealed that? And then he says, that we might know, and the former things that we might say. And what is that? We might say that this one is righteous. But here's the problem. There is no one who's proclaiming it. There's no one that's causing this to be heard. And there's no one who hears, hears your words, meaning this. He's saying that there is one that's coming. But no one's speaking about this one. And when we talk about the false words of these idol worshipers, or what the idols themselves saying, no one really pays attention to them. Why? Because it's all about doing what 
they want. They aren't faithful to idolatrous religions. They just do what they want. This is the message of the text. You're going to have two different types of people. One are going to be those who obey God. The other ones, they'll be idol worshipers, but they're really just doing what they want. Idols are just an excuse for and a lousy attempt to justify one's own sin. This is what he's saying. Verse 27. And now it says, Rishon Zion, the first one to Zion. Now, what it's saying here is that God's at work, and there's someone who's going to be the first to Zion. He's going to have preeminence. He's going to be the one that's first, central, in Zion, meaning the king of the kingdom. Behold, behold them. Behold all of this. And for Jerusalem, there's going to be one who proclaims, proclaims these things. And the word for one who proclaims is the word mevaser, which is the Hebrew way to say an evangelist. There is someone coming that is going to have a good word, a word of salvation, a word, an evangelist, a gospel preacher. This is what it's saying here, one who has good news. And then he says, verse, verse 28, I looked and there was no man. He's saying, there should be one who's proclaiming this. Who's the one who's going to say these good things that I'm going to be doing? But he looked, and there was no man doing so. And from these, there was no counselor. Now, another way to understand it is, these idols weren't revealing what God's up to. They weren't proclaiming what the promises of God are all about. This one that he's going to send, this one who's going to proclaim salvation and not just proclaim it, but make it and carry it out. He's saying here, I looked. There was none of, of, of these, these individuals speaking this. None from them were, were counseling this. There was no counselor. I asked them that they would respond, that they would return a word, that they would answer. And they didn't. They had no response to what God was doing. Why? They weren't interested in the things of God. Why? Look at our last verse. He says here, Behold, all of them, Avin. What's Avin? It's a word that means wickedness, injustice, that which is in conflict with the will of God. So all of this, what he's saying is, these idol worshipers, the idols themselves, they all are about injustice. Because it's only when we submit to God's will are we going to be about justice. When we're doing our will, we're going to be workers of iniquity, wickedness, and injustice. So he says, behold, all of them, they are wicked. And it says, there's nothing, Ephesus, Nothing of substance, nothing whatsoever from their deeds. And their, their molten images are ruach vetohu, which means it's air, wind, and, and confusion. Nothing good comes from it. So this speaks about God's faithfulness. He's going to bring about 
change. And those who are not in his word, trusting his word, establishing things in their life based upon his words, they are going to be just like idols of no substance. Nothing good do they do. No revelation. They cannot speak any truth. They are nothing whatsoever. No more significance than the blowing wind. And they bring in the end tohu confusion. So God makes it very clear here that he's the one who's the architect of change. And that he is going to, with the Jewish people, with the land of Israel, he is going to bring spiritual transformation prior to the establishment of his kingdom. God is at work with Israel. And over and over and over prophetically, we see it. So if you want to know what God's going to do, study prophecy. Shalom from Israel. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Thank <laughs> you.